New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Stephen Jenkinson. He's the author of Die Wise, A Manifesto for Sanity and Soul. He's also the subject of a documentary film, Grief Walker. Stephen, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. I would like to give you the opportunity to give at least a glimpse about some of your thoughts about death, sorrow and grief by telling the story that was so moving to me that you write about in your book about when you are 20 years old, you're in the hospital, you've been wandering the halls, Mm -hmm. you're sitting on a window ledge, Mm -hmm. you look down 10 stories, you see a garbage truck come up and sometime later a hearse come up, Mm -hmm. and then later you have a conversation with a nurse. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you know, all good stories begin before you start telling them. So there's always more before wherever I choose to begin it. Well, I, when I was three years old, I, uh, I was dying of spinal meningitis. And in some fashion, I knew it because I knew how the, uh, the nurses were touching me. And they were touching me as someone who's not likely to stay around. And that never leaves you. And at some level, that's always been there, though I never pursued any kind of work that would somehow respond to that. Uh, so those who are psychologically minded, I'm thwarting you right now. The truth of the matter is I did know about it, and then it wasn't a big part of the story all through my adolescence. And then this particular time that you're asking about appeared. I admitted myself to the hospital because I was having breathing problems. Uh, and, you know, when you self-admit the first time, you feel grown up in a way you wish you never had achieved. It's a extraordinarily aging and grievous thing to do, I must tell you. So there I was with a kind of case of leather lung, as I called it, and as you say, wandering the hall because I was ambulatory, one of the few people in that ward that was, uh, with the IV pole, and I was just sitting on a windowsill with this bad case of ennui, as they say in French, a kind of boredom without end. And uh, as I sat there, a garbage truck pulled up. I made it completely uneventful event. A garbage truck backs to the what was clearly the maintenance hangar, let's say, of the hospital, and it was directly below me. So I was watching idly, but mostly feeling sorry for myself. And all the garbage gets flung in, away he goes. And then, um, it probably wasn't even five or ten minutes later, and here comes a hearse up the same driveway, backwards, the same fashion. Door opens, and the uh, people... Uh, tricked out in the rayon of the dismal trade, as I wrote, uh, which is to say the generally black and white when they're on the job. Uh, and they took receipt of two um, caskets that, that rolled out of the, exactly the same uh, service entrance of the hospital. There was something about that juxtaposition that the collision was um, uncontainable, frankly. Uh, because why? Well, because first of all, I at some level realized Two people had died while I'd been walking around 
I don't say that it made me feel sorry for myself. It was way beyond anything like that. It was, it was how the deep um, impermanence of your days finally arrives at your doorstep. And it doesn't arrive at your doorstep as your impermanence. It arrives at your doorstep as someone else's, which is virtually ever since what I've been pleading for is the idea that everyone's death before your own is your chance to get it right. And the extent to which you're boxed out from the death of the people around you is the extent to which you come to your own dying as an amateur, you see. So, so I'm, I'm in deep disarray as a 20-year-old, utterly forlorn and feeling homeless and, of course, physically run down and the rest. And with nowhere to go, I just went back to the room and I laid down and I was in great upheaval, I would say. And in the midst, uh, this young nurse, she was only a few, probably less than a year older than I was, which even in those days is, is um, startling that you could be nursed by someone your own age because they're always supposed to be older. No? But of course she wasn't. And I told her what I'd seen. And her response was not to reassure me or any, her response was to tell me a story back, which human beings have been doing for 80,000 years, I guess. And her story was that she had been caring for someone uh, on the floor, either above or right below me. And she'd grown fairly attached to him. And that when she was off shift, he had died unexpectedly and alone without his family there. And that she was so distressed and overwrought by this when she came back to work and found out that they actually put her on the ward that I was on as a way of um, softening this, quote, professional loss that she just endured as a relatively young nurse who'd grown, quote, unquote, too attached to someone that she was caring for. Well, what does caring mean? <laughs> anyway, and somehow, what do, you, what do you mean somehow? Somehow she ended up in my room, given all that choreography? There we were, a couple of kids in the presence of other people's deaths, completely unhinged by them. And we told those stories back and forth. When she told me hers, she cried, which I'll never forget. And she didn't try not to cry. And it wasn't dramatic. It was, it was enduring somehow until uh, this moment. Eventually she left. And I'm, the, the mystery is actually deepened by this encounter, not, not soothed by it at all. And somewhere in there, I don't know how I was prompted to do it, but I started to write, and I suppose at some level I've been doing it ever since. And what I wrote was something that ended up being uh, to my mother, you know, for thanking her for, for me being alive. And it was a love letter, you know, and uh, I wasn't sure what to say in it, except I realized I was alive for the first time. And how did I realize it? By coming to a close, close encounter with the death of somebody else, which is how the news tends to come to us. No? That the coming in and going out of life are the bookends of your own time and that you begin to grow a deep fondness for being alive only when you glimpse its end. And you're generally obliged to do it. The idea you're gonna seek that realization as a kid, this is why Indigenous cultures have initiation because they don't leave it to kids to seek it out or, or the kind of happenstance encounter that I just described to you. It's choreographed. And minus that, uh, in a culture like the one I was born to, 
you'd hope beyond your wildest dreams that maybe something like that, at least in hindsight, could have happened to you. And probably that moment granted me whatever gravitas my life has uh, acquired since. And it's my enormous good fortune that I was able to write a love letter to life and, if I could put it this way, use my mother's presence to do it. I mean, it's always good practice to love your mother as a way of practicing loving being alive. Of course it is. Even mothers that are hard to love. And there is such a thing, of course. So I wrote that. And, uh, and of course, it probably broke her heart to get it, no, uh, from, from me. And then I remember it disintegrating into fibers in her purse. And I still saw it, you know, scotch tape and the whole thing. And I think the way I ended that story in the book was to say that the book itself was my version to the world of what I've written to her. And me telling you the story is, is that too. You mentioned the word initiation and how in this Western North American culture, we really do not have that kind of initiation for young people mm-hmm. uh, in, in indigenous cultures that are intact must still have some of that. But hearing that story now from you telling it more than even reading it, I see it as a moment of initiation for you. Yeah. As, as long as we understand that the word initiation doesn't mean I get it now. You know, to initiate means to begin, of course, right? To begin your life, which means everything before it signals that your life had somehow not begun yet. Being born is not the prerequisite of a human being. A human being has to be crafted subsequent to his or her birth, not as a consequence of the birth. And uh, that's what these rites of, of passage do. They craft humanity from rather unpromising uh, possibilities called kids. Yeah. And to do that, your childhood has to end, you see. To have, for you have any shot at being a deeply wrought, village-serving human, I would say. So then you think about, about the remarkable prestige that's heaped upon the inner child in a time like our own, and you realize we don't have a hope. And it goes a long way toward explaining why we think everybody in the world wants what we want. We can't understand it when they rise up occasionally, sometimes violently, and say, no thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a child's misapprehension of what a good life is. No. But initiated understanding of good life requires the end of everything you thought was so that comes from your childhood. It doesn't disqualify it. It simply characterizes it as a child's life. And the story I just told you was in some ramshackle approximation as close as I was likely to get uh, to something that's culturally endorsed and practiced and enforced. But it's somehow it's held me a good stead anyway. And there is something about an encounter with dying that will end your childhood if you're lucky. Not your own personal dying, but the deeper mandatory mercy and meaning of life that its end carries with it, you see. And my childhood, I guess, somehow somehow ended there. 
Of course, I needed another, I don't know, 25 years to find a way to make sense because I'm not surrounded by a culture that could make sense of that encounter for me. So it became a, a kind of a brailing proposition for me to grope about in my days for years afterwards, including marriage and children of my own and all of that, none of which says to you, ah, this is what you're supposed to do with that. And, you know, getting eventually working in the death trade became, with the benefit of hindsight, one way that was granted to me to proceed as if I'd seen what I'd seen. I didn't seek it out for that. But as it turned out, it was that kind of barbed gift wherein these old heartbreaks had a new life. And what they had now that they didn't have when I was younger is purpose. That my heartbrokenness had reasons which were not fundamentally personal. They were human instead. And that's what gave me a chance to find what I was born to do. That in Brother Blue. That, that marvelous storyteller mm -hmm. and master storyteller who is now dead, but still continues to resonate by the living of his life and his stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he holds in, me to a high standard, even unto this moment. Yeah. Yes. Stephen, I want to thank you for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. Thank you, too. I've been speaking with Stephen Jenkinson. He's the author of Die Wise, A Manifesto for Sanity and Soul. And he's also the subject of the documentary film Grief Walker. I suggest that you find that film. And you can know more about his work by going to his website, orphanwisdom.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.